For years, Bill Gates warned of a new virus that would cripple the world. This year, his predictions came true. You know, the damage economically and health-wise has been far greater than I would have expected with a, a virus like this. How do we financially recover from the catastrophic effects of a pandemic that has gripped the planet? Financial recovery from COVID-19 is estimated to be between $8.1 and $15.8 trillion globally. In this two-part series presented by King's College London, we explore an innovative and disruptive solution to the economic crisis caused by COVID-19, a financial bailout for the everyday household. The COVID-19 pandemic has spread with alarming speed, infecting millions and bringing economic activity to a near standstill as countries impose tight restrictions on movement to halt the spread of the virus. Our world has changed. How do we cope? How do we recover financially? In our last episode, we examined the household as the unit transmitting COVID-19 from people to the wider economy. In this episode, we look at what was ailing the household before COVID-19 and will continue to be a financial challenge during and after the pandemic. Building on the recently published book, Should We Abolish Household Debt by Dr. Jonna Montgomery, in the context of COVID-19, we bring together a group of experts to explain why this time we need to bail out households, not banks. Dr. James Wood is teaching associate in political economy and part of the fellowship at Trinity Hall University of Cambridge. His research examines the political consequences of financial globalization with a particular focus on household debt. So, I mean, household debt really is central to Britain's growth model. I mean, household debt levels are very high in the UK. Currently, household debt is about, uh, stands at about 84% of Britain's GDP, um, and it is the main engine of Britain's growth model. Most people think of this as being sort of consumption-driven, and, and they would be right. You know, Britain is a consum- consumption-driven economy, and you know, uh, individuals' consumption is supported by taking on household debt. You know, things like spending via credit cards and so on, or maybe taking out higher purchase for to buy cars. But it's really house prices that are the main determinants of household debt growth in Britain, and actually, it's house prices that are sort of central to Britain's debt-driven growth model. Um, this might sound a little counterintuitive, but what's going on here is that people are essentially buying houses for a variety of reasons. I mean, a, owning your own home is, is a preference, uh, is a sort of cultural norm in societies like Britain. But it's also an important financial asset. A lot of people in Britain don't have a high amount of savings. They don't have a, a huge uh, investment portfolio. And for an awful lot of people, the home is their primary financial asset. So what happens here is that as you have this kind of swelling demand for for home ownership, this pushes up house prices and people who already uh, own their homes, they take out equity release mortgages and then they're able to use that those funds uh, to consume goods and services that they wouldn't be able to, to do so out of their income. Now, interestingly, although this is how Britain's economy is run, um, there are an awful lot of other, other economies uh, around the world that have much higher household debt to GDP ratios than Britain. And you have like, the, the rest of the Anglosphere, places like Australia and Canada, um, their debt to GDP rate, their, well, their household debt to GDP ratios are much higher than Britain's, well over 100%. 
Private or household debt reached historic heights, surpassing the 2008 debt levels that triggered the global financial crisis. Dr. John Montgomery, reader in international political economy and author of Should We Abolish Household Debt? Importantly, not all debts are bad, but there is no fixed point when good credit becomes bad debt. Instead, we have to think of the mountain or stock of outstanding debt as unevenly distributed across households. But the overall effect of this debt sitting there in the middle of the economy in the midst of this pandemic is to make more households financially fragile. For many, one missed payment is just the start of economic catastrophe. Stay at home and shelter-in-place orders were the backbone of lockdown measures used to contain the pandemic. These were deemed medically necessary but were financially devastating for many households. The economic shockwave created by COVID-19 is enormous. Nations already struggling with high levels of household debt now rely on these same households to act as shock absorbers. For those that managed their debts fine before, this shockwave creates fear over how debt repayments will be managed next month and the one after that. For those that were struggling to pay debts before the pandemic now face calamity. One mispayment can be all it takes to tip an entire household into financial distress, taking years to recover. It is not just the total amount that households owe. It is all the different types of debts that households have to juggle. A mortgage, a home equity loan, a line of credit, a small business loan, credit cards, a car loan, a student loan, and other types of retail finance products like for a phone or a digital device. Each of these loan contracts is offered at a far higher rate than what the central bank is offering from 0.1% to a quarter of a percent across the advanced industrial world. This cheap credit is not being translated to households and retail credit products are still very expensive. These loans represent a legal claim on income next only to taxation that households must make to stay solvent. Ryan Davey, lecturer at Cardiff University School of Social Sciences. The debts of low-income households show how toxic even a small amount of debt can be. We normally think of debt as a number, it's just how much you owe. But this number doesn't really capture the work and the sleepless nights that go into trying to get the money together to pay on time. Debt can ensure a person is constantly working more than they're earning. The number on a debt doesn't capture the lender's disproportionate power to decide how much your instalment should be. It doesn't capture the constant exposure to a risk of losing your belongings or even your home that you face when you fall behind. We shouldn't be surprised that debt problems often coincide with mental distress and suicidality. Debt has an amazing and terrible power to orchestrate misfortune in people's lives. Let's say you have a drop in income and get evicted as a private renter. One private renter I've interviewed told me that if she gets evicted, not only has she and her family lost their home, they will also find it extremely difficult to find remotely adequate housing because they'll be at the mercy of landlords choosing to take someone on who's officially classed as intentionally homeless. Research in the US has shown that the poorest neighbourhoods have disproportionate numbers of people who have been evicted from somewhere else. And so eviction is a cause and not just a consequence of poverty. It has societal effects. It takes just one thing not to go according to plan. Almost regardless of the absolute size of a debt, repayment problems can set a chain of enforcement and dispossession in motion. 
And so the number that represents any given debt is not really a great measure of the imbalance of power that someone in debt is facing or the scale of the devastation that enforcement and eviction can wreak on their life. Dr. Jonna Montgomery. The whole of the effects of being indebted on a household is bigger than the sum of all of its outstanding debts. Rather, we need to think of being indebted and the accumulative effects of these payments has on the financial uncertainty and fear. These are two of the biggest threats to any financial recovery. So to financially recover from COVID-19, we need to focus on relieving the pressure of debt repayments on households because most households are paying between 15 to 30% of their income to repayment. Debt relief means giving households more of this earned money to spend or invest today, instead of paying interest, high interest rates at that, on past debts. And this type of debt relief can take many forms. In 2008, governments around the world responded in a coordinated way to bail out banks and financial markets to prevent calamity. According to the UK National Audit Office, the total cost of the bailout amounted to approximately GBP 1.16 billion at the most basic level. The British government over the years recuperated the majority of this money, but the cost still amounted to 58 billion in 2018. But these numbers excluded costs from, say, unemployment, loss of wealth, and the economic downturn. In her recent book, Should We Abolish Household Debt?, Dr. Montgomery explains the many different measures that could be put into place to extend a financial bailout to households, just like the banks received in 2008. The response to the economic shockwave caused by COVID-19 needs to be that governments bail out households. One of the easiest ways to offer debt relief to households is through a long-term refinancing operation called an LTRO. This method has been used dozens of times to bail out banks and firms after a financial crisis. It's just like your run-of-the-mill 0% balance transfer option, but on a much bigger scale. Consumers would be able to nominate debts they are struggling to repay up to a limit. These debts are then refinanced at 0% for five to seven years. This means households are in the driver's seat, selecting the debts they are struggling most to pay and being offered a lower interest rate and a longer term to pay these debts off. Dr. Marika Beck is the Liverhume Early Career Fellow at King's College London. Measures such as long-term refinancing operations are what banks and large firms receive when they struggle to pay their creditors, especially during financial crisis. We need to do this for households as well. Refinancing household debt means the cost of debt repayment goes down. This frees up income to revive economic activity in the present day. Calls for widespread debt relief for households will undoubtedly be met with hostile resistance. Debt is big business, and household debt, especially mortgages, student loans, and credit cards, are the feedstock of global financial markets. Millions of monthly debt payments are anticipated revenue of lenders, which are sold as assets on global markets. Household debt is a major profit source for the entire global financial system. They are not likely to give up on their revenue streams so easily. Reducing the amount of interest paid on retail loans means lenders will lose revenue. It's called taking a haircut. But the status quo of allowing only the largest financial actors access to historically low rock-bottom interest rates benefits lenders at the expense of all others in the economy. Lowering the interest rate on retail loans 
means that the financial sector will be the loser from this LTRO. Proposing a serious reduction in the amount of revenue expected on outstanding debts hits these very powerful financial actors in the only place they care about, their profit margins. In practical terms, it means that the same group that received trillions in bailouts and welcomed billions more in direct monetary financing from the central bank since the COVID-19 pandemic began are the very same people who will say that household debt cancellation is impossible and unaffordable. Gary Dimsky is Professor of Applied Economics at the Leeds University Business School. If we look at the households and their debt structures, one thing we're really going to see is first an increase in mortgage debt, the debt that people have to put off for housing, partly because the prices of homes have risen faster than have the incomes of people on average. And so houses are more expensive. You have to take more years of your working life, so to speak, to pay off your home than you did before. So that's one aspect of the increasing debt burden that people face. There's then a case to be made, and this is a case that my colleague Jonah Montgomery has made, for household debt forgiveness as one component of a possible recovery of the nation as a whole, and especially something to look at in terms of the overall uh, situation. We have a situation in which uh, basically there are people who will not be viable as households if they are forced into bankruptcy court. The only option would be to dissolve the household. And given the interlinkages of family and other ongoing social commitments, this will rip apart uh, people with established living situations that will have to be reestablished in a new way, allowing the full force of too much debt that can't be serviced and that has to therefore lead to the dissolution of the indebted units is a step we have to be very wary of. And here's where COVID really kicks in, because of course what COVID has done is to cut cash flows, and it's done it in an uneven way across the income and wealth distribution. Poorer households have lost more. Uh, Frontline workers are more at risk. They're often not making that much money. There's even been a greater incidence of COVID deaths and infections on the part of frontline and key sector workers. What that has meant is a situation in which they are exposed to the financial ruin of their prospects as a viable housing unit, even while they've been giving of their time and their energy to keep uh, the society going. Opposition to debt relief combines moral outrage with threats to discredit. We are told that debt relief will reward the profligate, the spenders, and punish the prudent, the savers. But this type of moralizing about debt is only ever applied to individuals and households. Just think of how routine corporate restructuring and bankruptcy has become over the past decades. And this is because it was recognized a long time ago that the debtor's prison was not conducive to a modern and vibrant economy. The German word for debt is the same as guilt. The shame of struggling with debts means that many people feel responsible for their financial difficulties, even if they were caused by a once in a century pandemic. How will debt relief provide immediate relief from the financial impact of COVID-19? The daily life of going to work, earning money, spending money and paying for debts or normal life for most people is the terrain on which the economy is built. COVID-19 disrupts these normal routines writ large, causing a shockwave through the bedrock of the economy. 
But even prior to the pandemic, the Anglo-American countries or those in the English-speaking world had a pre-existing condition of debt dependence, which was easily dismissed as private debt was a private problem. Here, indebtedness was seen as the result of a lack of financial management skills or an unreasonable desire to spend more than the limits of income. But today, private debt is a problem that a growing number of households share, not because they lack financial education, but because the entire economy was dependent on debt to grow when a once-in-a-century pandemic gripped the globe. But it means that it is these debts that are causing the most strain and financial fragility of households. And it is how these debts are managed that will determine the financial survival of households and the wider economy. How to Financially Recover from COVID-19 is a limited podcast series featuring leading experts from King's College, Bristol, and SOAS, who all study the household as a central and complex economic institution. The solution to our economic crisis caused by COVID-19, an innovative solution to bail out households, not banks. Debt relief will provide breathing space for many by reducing the burden of interest payments when income is uncertain and a fresh start for households when the threat of the virus is gone. 